My conversation today on Behind the Act is with Emily Hatch. She's a singer, a vocal coach, and co-host of the Honestly Dear Listener podcast. And today we're talking about the struggle for authenticity and why as creatives we often push against or even invalidate our core natural strengths and why adding limitations can help the creative process and why we should enjoy the creative process on the way to the destinations of our art output. I'm Seth Schaefer. This is Behind the Act with Emily Hatch. I am interested in talking about what you've discovered to be vulnerabilities as you're coaching people on vocals that are consistent. And then also what of those vulnerabilities you keep feeling in yourself too. So you help fix their problems <laughs> and then they turn around and see in the mirror your own side of that. Man. Yeah, that's heavy. Just out of the gate. Here we are. Okay. So vulnerabilities in any at all, right? Because vocally is one thing and then emotionally is another, which not to be too woo-woo, but like they're kind of the same. Your voice is a part of you. And so I think that automatically makes a singer vulnerable. Um, when they come to me, they're saying something's not what I want it to be. And it, it can be really interesting because you have a couple different types of, well, plenty of different types of people, but main different types are that uh, a person could be a professional that knows that they're good and maybe is like, what's wrong with me then? And then a person who's like, I can't sing at all. What do I do? Um, and I think dealing with, dealing with, helping a person in the second category is easier in some ways because you can talk them up more into something and, and point out what they're, um, what they're doing right. Sometimes it's harder to break that down in someone who is already uptight but not as willing to admit it. Right. Uh, I think... I see that in me on both sides. So I think that like, you know, I do this for a living and there's a part of me that is like, well, I, I know how to sing. I'm good at this. If, if I am under scrutiny, but most of the time I operate as a person who is like, what if I'm not good enough? What if I, you know, um, I, and I think deep down we're all like that. So, um, Thinking about singing every day is the best. It's also the worst because once I, like I just had a performance a few days ago and when I got on stage, I have to turn off my technique brain so hard because I'm thinking about if something feels tight, my first thing to go to is to solve that problem like I would for a student in a lesson. I'm in a performance. I can't be like, raise your tongue and do this thing. I mean, I can, but it's so much less effective and ends up getting me more in my head. So that was, was that answering the question? Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> no, I think it's just I a, feel like it was. a helpful way to jump into it. Cause I know as we, you know, we were talking with Carrie yesterday and she's, you know, as I'm life coaching somebody, I can easily identify and tell them, don't talk to my friend that way. And, you know, mm -hmm. be, be nice to yourself, but then immediately we flip around and we're unkind to ourselves so quickly. 
Totally. You know, which I think feeds into the imposter syndrome idea, which I've talked a lot about, but something that I struggle with all the time. And I feel like the closer and better that I get with certain things or the more that I care about its quality of output, the more I get afraid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I also on the singing front, the idea of which will at some point I need your help. But as I, I'm a very soft singer as I sing, but as I start to project, it sounds a lot more like a dying duck or dolphin. Oh. And so, you know, the transitions from, I think like, oh, that's pretty to like, oh, I don't want to ever do that again. I doubt that you sound like that. Isn't it weird though, our perception of things? Like I, okay, so I try not to completely psychoanalyze people because I'm not qualified, but sometimes I feel like I have students that I when they're being loud, they criticize themselves and I don't hear what they're talking about. And so I'm like, are you sure it's not just you're not used to hearing your voice really? Right. And they're like, oh, I'm like, how often do you just sit with yourself and try to make louder noises? Like I have students that'll be like, I never raise my voice. Like I don't, so I feel like I'm yelling or, you know, it's so, it's so interesting how tied in with our emotions all this is. I mean, for me, when I get the most afraid in that imposter syndrome is when I'm singing for students. I hate it. I hate it because I, I have to work so hard to put away the voice that's like, they're all wondering why they would be taking lessons from a lady that sounds like you, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, I, sh- I get, I will shake and all that stuff. I'm like, and I can talk other people through it. And I give them tools. But when it comes to me, there's no mercy. Like, right. none. I have to be perfect. Yes. In fact, I just listened to that performance I had a couple days ago, right before this. And I shouldn't have done that because I was like, Oh God, like I, you know, I hear everything that I do wrong. Um, But at the same time, again, if you come at me and say, you know, you need to keep working on blah, blah, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing great. And I think about this all the time. I know what I need to work on. We're so weird. Humans are so weird. So so where do you think those two mechanisms come from? And I'm not to project onto you what I think, but the, emotional side for me is what's critical mm. and then my logical side comes into like save the day and be like no logically you're good at x y and z and mm. you know but the emotional side is like you can't outthink me and <laughs> i think it's so hard with creativity because it's so like objective okay logic is lost on me <laughs> A lot of the time. Uh, Quote. <laughs> yes. So I say my logical piece that is helpful to me is people hire you for this and they keep hiring you. So you must be good at this. Uh, and then also logically, I can listen to a performance and say, I was flat out a lot. I there were a lot of wobbly parts. There were really tight moments. That was a bad riff. And that is also logical. So it's just so, I I feel like I'm answering the question in a really weird way. But, um, but on the emotional side of things, 
I I feel that I can be more successful on that side and notice that for myself. Did I bring people with me in this show? Did I look at this audience and know that they're they're vibing with me, whether I hit a bad note or not? If I can get more into that piece of the performance or or this song or whatever, um, I'm I feel more successful. It's so strange. Wasn't that the weirdest? It's strange. Yeah. I mean, what it, I want to know, like, what's your logical versus emotional? Like, if logic tells you, like, what? I just want to know. Yeah. Like, no, I, th- I think from, from my end is d- deep-rooted fears of rejection and deep identity problems, not problems, but foundations that are attached to specifically music. And then even, you know, the film side, I was never supposed to be good at. So I just um, became competent enough. And it's never been part of my identity, strangely, even though most people probably know me more for that than anything. But the the music side is so deep-rooted that it's hard to unpack the four-year-old and five-year-old and six-year-old judgments or lack of judgments or self-judgments and, you know, constantly every week going in and getting the teacher to be like you should be doing this and this is wrong and this is a thing you know and and then i'm like but i didn't even want to play that song but you're making me play it and you know mm-hmm. um i think that there's just a lot that's hard for me to unpack from history that makes my emotional side not want. it's like i don't i want to go share because it's fun and it's exciting and i love playing and i like just love music and I know that I'm objectively plenty good to be able to go play in the world of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am very aware of how good I'm not and that is deflating at times um, from an emotional standpoint but not a head standpoint and I don't even emotionally want to be the best i don't want to i mean i, I want to continue to improve but i don't have a feeling that i am not i don't know how to put that like i don't i don't feel like my skills are short um in ways that are just going to stifle me at all mm. i can get better and of course there are people that are going to be better at certain things like don't ask me to go sight read a classical thing like that's not what i do you know so <laughs> but um I think it has more to do with the identity side and I'm sure that I'm really actually more afraid of my discovery that what I'm releasing and excited about is not as good two weeks later, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I do that. I'll like post something and then I look at it and I go, wow, that wasn't, I mean, it was fine, but it's not that cool. Mm-hmm. Not as cool as I thought it was when I released it. And that's just my perception. Totally. We also did this with films. Uh, I would be really just embarrassed and frustrated that we were releasing this film or we just totally dropped the ball for this client or whatever. Um, and then I'll go back two years later and be like, that's a freaking great film. Like, what, are, what am I worried about? And my judgment in the moment is always so much more or is higher than later. I can give myself my past self a lot more grace than I can my current self. I relate to that big time. I look back on like 10 years ago what I was doing and thought, you know, without listening to it or looking at it. And I'm like, I didn't know nearly as much then as I know now. And then I listen to it or look at it and I'm like, okay, past me was doing okay. 
And then I get weirdly critical about, well, maybe now that I know more, I'm not as good of a performer as I used to be because, mm-hmm. uh, like, and I have to stop myself from taking that dark turn because yeah. I'm like, now. But I do think sometimes that knowledge can be a curse, at least vocally, because, like I said, you start getting too in your head about, did I do that? Did I do that in the moment? Mm-hmm. And not just allowing yourself to make noise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, isn't it so crazy that you can look at something in two weeks' time and talk yourself out of thinking it's good and literally nothing has changed about it? Like, it was good enough to release before and now it's not? Like, what happened? Right. Like you said, it's just me being right. like, hmm, my perception of this has changed. And like, how do I feel that day about me? Maybe Yeah. Oh, two weeks ago I was feeling like, hey, good job. And now I'm like, we're idiots. We don't know what's going on. Uh, we, you know. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I believe that there's a general level of, like there's a threshold that you have to be able to cross to be able to kind of play in any camp of skills. Once you're past that threshold, you, you know, it, it has to do with style and taste and flavor and your specific competence for that moment. You know, I'm sure singing is, and anything like with music, it's like, if you're practicing a certain set of ideas that you're, you know, testing, I don't want to be too specific for jazz piano or something like that, but you're more likely to be, to impart that onto your art because Mm -hmm. it's something that's just current, you know, and then you move. I mean, same thing with, with film. Like, for example, I went through a course that talked about motion and I used to run a camera stabilizer all the time for everything, get all these, you know, beautiful moves and stuff. And once I realized how little I understood about the frame needing to have movement within it, I like, I put the thing down for two years and I just shot off of tripods basically or handheld. And because I was like, I don't know enough about the important parts of this for this motion side to actually do anything than be a crutch. Hmm. But anyway. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I... I think the frustrating thing about the reliability and skill piece of voice is that it feels different every day. So like I have acid reflux and some days I can very easily and happily make certain sounds and make choices. And then other days there's some clunky stuff going on and I can't do anything. It's it's a little, I think it's the the scene is always changing. So you're like, I don't know how to make that relate to like instruments, but it'd be like if, if some, you play the guitar, someone's changing out your guitar for an electric guitar the next day and you just have to deal with it. And you're like, it's still a guitar. I can still play it. But all the cool things I was trying to do with the acoustic yesterday (laughs) are not here. And I, everything's closer together and everything's like, okay, uh, I guess I'll do this today and hope it comes out right. Um, and so that makes things a little difficult and, you know, that affects pitch. And it's like the base of everything is if you're singing on pitch or not, then tone, but that affects that. So it's just, uh, it's hard to be like, I'm good at this and then wake up the next day with an electric guitar in your throat and you're like, okay, well, mm. you know. Oh, so that makes me feel like if you built songs and shows around what your you know your strongest traits are in your singing 
um, makes it easier to more consistently nail that obviously, but then move into the idea, or I'm, I just kind of want to explore the idea of that, that being a, a crutch. So, so for example, like if you're a really solid belting singer and, but that becomes a crutch and you can't sing softly, that's fine. But, um, I wonder, at least for me, like guilt comes into where my crutches are, even though my crutches are what I can execute the best. And I could probably outplay most people in those ways, in those styles and those keys or whatever, you know, like that. Um, and, and I don't mean that as a pat on my back because I, the other side of it, of course, is that I would grossly underperform them and what their crutches are, you know, but I tend to have guilt because I'm practicing old lazy habits basically in um, certain things, but I shouldn't because they're still like my best skill sets. <laughs> I guess, exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, that's a really good observation. There are things I can just do any day, but I like to challenge myself all the time. I look at, at least vocally, I look at things like, um, your styles and your powerhouse things like players on a football team. So linebackers are th there like there for the muscle that's like belters to me and like pushing through things. You should be a whole body of a singer. You need strength. You need, you know, agility and all that stuff, but you can, your style can be that. It doesn't mean that a linebacker can't be agile, but it's a lot harder to move that muscle quickly. Uh, and if, if that makes any sense. So we're, we're not, you know, having our, our running folks hitting people as often, you know. So from a stylistic standpoint, if you take all the things you're really super good at and then try to, like, move them into something else, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means, like, you have a specialty and that's a good thing. Like, right. you know. <laughs> But we can use anything to shame ourselves, I suppose. I think that's similarly in line with like the strengths finders kind of idea um, where it's like, yeah, you can focus on these skills that you're not that great at, um, but that you obviously haven't excelled at that for some reason. And so why put time and energy into that if you can just become that much better at these things? I'm probably poorly summarizing that, but... Um, but there are things I want to be better at that I don't, um, I haven't been because I haven't put the energy and time into it. Um, but maybe it's also a natural propensity too, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I also like to learn things that I'm not good at. Like I don't have a natural tendency to be great with, not because I'm trying to become the best, but because I think it's healthy for my brain and I enjoy it, you know? Yeah, so. balance is a good thing for right. sure. Um and, you know, just coming back to voice, I'm not a great riffer. I get frustrated trying to do something that I'm not naturally good at. I'm kind of like a spoiled little brat in some ways because I'm like, I'm not winning, so I don't want to play. Like, I wish I had a little more curiosity. I will go on little tangents and try to learn, like, in in my thing, new stuff. I like to learn new things that aren't part of like you were saying my identity like as a singer I do that stuff but it makes me mad when I can't do it and so I'll kind of just avoid it because I'm like it's like shining lights on things that I don't want lights shown on 
but I like learning things outside of the. I don't know. So do you do you carry guilt for not being a little bit more vulnerable with your own self on the, the voice stuff? I don't think I have a lot of guilt surrounding voice, but I don't think that's necessary. Sometimes, yes. I take chances though in shows and then I'm just mad that it didn't work. And then I'm like, I need to riff more. I need to figure it out. And then I'll like try it and be like, oh, that's not good. I should get out of there. So yeah, maybe I do. I didn't realize. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that I, I might, I might be feeling guilty about that. But I do try things, and then I'm right. like, "That was bad." Um, I like, I like not doing. I I like not singing just one way, and I try to vary things and put different colors within things because I think that's something that singers miss a lot. That the singers we love the most we think of as one thing, but they're not one thing. They do a lot of different things within it. So I try to challenge myself in there. It's like I always say to singers, if your parents, have you ever seen like a parent in a store and they just yell at their kid the whole time and the kid's not listening anymore? Um, That's what singing is like. If you're just belting at people all the time, they stop listening. If you're just singing really quietly the whole time, they stop listening. And even Billie Eilish doesn't just do that thing. She does a lot within to color things. Um, so I do try to search that out. But riffing is a sore spot for me that I'm like, oh, I really should try that. I should try harder. I should practice, really. <laughs> I mean, that'd be good. Right. Right, Santa? Without guilt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Letting yourself think. One of my voice teacher friends says they call it playing music for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that just is triggering to like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed yeah, to have fun. fun. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? I've recently been trying to break myself out of, again, the habits side, but then even like what's acceptable with music. And, and of course, if you do go down the jazz front, which is not, really specifically at all how I want to be identified as a musician, but um, there are some really ugly sounding chords that if you work with them long enough, you can start to realize that they're beautiful and, or like allowing them to be just a passing chord to something else or, you know, so I try to find stuff that makes me uncomfortable and learn how to enjoy it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but at first it feels really like, why am I doing this? Like, it's like a one, four, and a five sound great. So <laughs> It works for the Beatles. No, they do. No, like, or they do a lot. Oh, yeah. Or, but early on. Right. No, it works for everybody because it's beautiful and it does work and it's great. You know, it's like I love simple. But, um, but I also enjoy that exploration into like where I shouldn't play, you know, sonically. I do the same thing with woodworking and disc golf and anything else that I'm trying I'm like I'm happy to make like grotesque mistakes but it doesn't attach to my identity I mean and that's obviously just in my head but yeah I get that I speaking of the like weird sounds and ugly sounds and I immediately think of Alanis Morissette when I first heard her years ago I was like Ugh, what is this? What's going on? 
uh, why is she singing like that? And now I listen to songs and I adore the weird shit she's doing. And I, it's so moving listening to, I love listening to all I really want and hearing all the weird things she's doing with her voice. And it fits entire like so perfectly into the, the lyrics and all that stuff. So just the exploring ugly things and I find myself trying some of that more because it sometimes is what you need to be able to express what you want to express in that way um but if you if you never explore ugly things you don't get that expression so yeah awesome I um awesome is a weird response to that sorry (laughs) no it's not awesome Uh, it made me think of, uh, I wish I could remember the mixing guy's name, but he was talking about how to make a great mix. And he, he said, if you make everything fit perfectly, then yeah, you've got a perfectly smooth mix. It's boring as hell or something. He's like, we want elbows. And I just think about the elbow all the time. I'm like, I love that idea. Like I want elbows and in a, yeah, in a mix, but also in a song and and like just make it a little uncomfortable this is art like i mean as much as a white piece of paper is beautiful (laughs) let's do something more interesting i love that that's awesome let's talk about that exploration so writing songs uh attaching to rhymes early as a a crutch how does that guide meaning in ways you don't want it to be originally like in every way, honestly, I feel like the rhyme accidentally becomes the destination instead of the message becoming the destination. And that is a great way to write a shitty song. <laughs> uh, you know, I am realizing I write s- sort of often. I'm not a songwriter in the sense of I'm up every day writing and that's what I do. But I am so scared of writing. It's it's sad, probably. I And I've written a lot. I've co-written quite a bit. But for some reason, really, it's like a pain point for me. And I think that's why I want to do it more, because it's it feels really scary. Um, but it also can feel bad, because you there's no right way to do it. I think that's the hard part about creativity in general, but I feel like I've I've gone through like weird journeys with that where I was in, in a, an emotionally abusive relationship with someone who would just tell me I couldn't write all the time. And I think that really locks into my brain really hard. Or I've had someone be like, you don't have to rhyme everything. This is stupid, you know? And I'm like, okay. And so there's so much attached to identity in that before I've even really reached an identity with it. So I think, yeah, it's it's so interesting with songwriting because there's no right way, but I feel like there is for me. Again, it's kind of like the voice thing. And there are a bunch of roles that everybody agrees are supposed to be the thing. And those are usually the things that the best songs break or at least exactly. parts of them. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot because I help coach 
songwriters, beginning songwriters. And I have a tendency to want to say we're supposed to do this, but we don't have to do that. You can listen to a million songs that are gorgeous and popular that don't do this chorus thing or this lift thing or this whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's no right way to do it. Something I've been trying to do as also an entirely novice songwriter in that world, but is attached to what the meaning and the idea is of the song first, and then try to make the words work to help share that message. And so not that that's a, a right way to do it either, but I, I find myself having rhymes redirect the ship and go, wait, that's not, maybe that's an interesting idea, but maybe it's still not in line with what the point of it is. So again, this is not advice for anybody because I don't have any hit songs. <laughs> yeah, same. I think, yeah, it's interesting. Doesn't mean it can't be helpful though. Right. Uh, I did a writing songwriting camp with Ben Folds and he did a bunch of different kinds of prompts. And one thing I really loved, one of his suggestions was to write a story. Just write for five minutes a story with a beginning, middle, and ending, and use the weirdest words you can. And then go back through your story and circle the words that you really love that were descriptive words, and then use those to craft a story in your song with beginning, middle, and ending. I That was really hard, really hard for me, but it was really cool to not think about rhyming, not think about anything, just write. He didn't tell us, of course, the ending of that prompt. He just said, write a story with interesting words, and it has to have a beginning, middle, and end, and you have this many minutes. And then he had us pull things out. That got me kind of out of that a little bit more. Another thing that was cool was prompts for only, you can only write 12 syllables in the verse and 15 syllables in the chorus, and that's it. Your bridge is three syllables. And I wrote a song that I loved so much because I I was on austerity with with the words, and I had to just get to the point and say it really succinctly. It's like, that helps a lot. Because instead of me being like, what rhymes with fire? I can, <laughs> what basically rhymes with fire? I was just like, I I only have this many words to write. So I love that. Yeah. The constraints side of it. Yeah. Helps a lot. I used to challenge myself to shoot. Well, particularly interviews. And I still kind of do this start with a 24 millimeter because it's wide and it's exposing and you have to do a good job with a scene um like a long i mean really kind of what i'm doing here with long lenses compressed scenes like it's really easy to make it look beautiful you mm -hmm. know you can do that kind of anywhere anyhow like but it's really hard with the 24 millimeter this is by the way not saying that people should start going out and start like filming with wide angles because it's not necessarily helpful for the story a lot of the times because you're trying to, you know, but the constraint and or running out and getting all the B-roll with that same lens, you know, um, there are ways to do it that are responsible and it's a really great lens, but it can also be boring as hell if you don't do it the right way. So, so you have to get creative and challenge yourself in that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, well, one of my crutches, like, 
this is not surprising as a piano player, but like the key of C is so stinking easy. And all of my foundation has been in that. So I just avoid ever starting any song in it. Like it's a wrong key. I'm like, it's not a wrong key. It's one of them and it's fine. <laughs> but Does yeah. it make you feel like it wouldn't be as good because it's too simple? Or I think more so it's probably me being afraid of being judged for loving the key of C so much, which is obviously silly. But I mean, so the point is I don't do it. And so even like inconsequential social media posts recently of like, oh, I'm going to do this in the key of C. It might be, but, but I'm not doing like something boring in the key of C and doing something complex or creative or like it's, you know, pointless <laughs> really when it comes down to it. No, it makes sense though. If you've been doing something your whole life in that way and then viewing it as simple then you think you're putting that constraint on yourself yeah that's so interesting but i think that the mechanism behind it for me is the fear of being judged even though i in certain contexts truly enjoy i mean particularly like a c minor or something you know it just mm -hmm. has a lot of flavors that are easy for me to access without thinking about it as much um and so I think it's the lazy side of it from my end, but that doesn't make it remotely incorrect or wrong. It's just a silly idea. Yeah. In my I, head, you know. I get that. Have you ever, you've never been criticized for it, have you? I don't, I, I can't recall a moment that I was. Yeah. It's interesting. I. Not from anybody I give any value to in my head, but. Right. You know. <laughs> Not enough to remember them saying uh -huh. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, Voice teachers lately, things that I've been consuming uh, about singing and about just career in music, we sometimes devalue the things that come easily to us. And I've been thinking about that with my students and then started thinking about it within myself too, that if something comes easily, it's not valuable. But so often that's what makes us who we are, what comes easily to us or what feels good and not that challenging is not the case for other people right you know and yet we devalue that because well i've i've always done this and i know the key of c is easy an easy key i understand that but i'm saying i think that happens a lot with something that just comes naturally and so we shame ourselves for living in it and it's like no, that's what makes us who we are. The things that come easily to us are us, you know? Yeah. And so constantly being like, don't do that, don't do that. That's too easy. Other people find comfort in the ease and find, yeah, yeah, it's a... It's it's the same thing as E in, on guitar or maybe like the key of G, but more, more E. Like E is just open and simple and everything kind of attaches to it. And so the open strings play well with, the, you know, I'm the same way, I think, with guitar and E, mm. which is also silly. So many of my favorite songs are in E. Totally. <laughs> and again, this is my weird connection to what you're saying. Yeah. It's being that that thing is easy. It's more accessible and easy and one of the first things you learn and maybe an escape from doing something that's more difficult as though there's artistic value in avoiding that part of the of where it's easy you know mm -hmm. at what point does the struggle or the new discovery give more value to the art um or 
is it just that that's what we need as creatives to find a new like scratch a new itch or something Mm -hmm. like we need to feel that push and texture or crunchiness or some tension or something in order to feel like we've done something right yeah but for ourselves and i guess maybe that's another extension to that idea is what at what point does that um you know at first when you're learning a new skill it's hard and it's difficult so maybe you add more value to your art because you succeeded in doing this thing and it's difficult and then later it's not so does it really have more value if it's hard for you at the moment or does it not and i don't think as as artists in general uh, creatives it's in people to just be like this is what i do for 50 years like that no. sounds like torture yeah <laughs> i don't allowing yourself to have things be easy is good i think we have to find that balance for sure but i don't think there are a lot of artists that are like i just painted this circle for my whole life i did it again <laughs> Wow, nailed it. I built this thing called a template. And so I trace it. People's minds are blown. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And it's my thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think think we'll do that. (laughs) Yeah. Where does inspiration come for you? Fear. Uh, Isn't that sad? And I'm working on that not... It's like, maybe I'm answering incorrectly. I feel like I am motivated by fear, which is not the same as being inspired. I think I'm motivated by the fear that I won't do things that I want to do. Where does the inspiration come from under that? You'd think I would know that, right? Is fear... And being motivated by it and following through on that, a bad thing? I think it creates a lot more turmoil through the process. But I don't think it's, I think it's served me well. I think it's stopped me from things, but I think it also has shown me where my excitement is because I'm like, well, I better not do this. And sometimes that feeling of, what would happen if I didn't? And being afraid of that has motivated me to explore more things. Fear is not often, you know, sometimes fear can't be a friend, but sometimes it sort of is as well. I think inspiration, it's like at some point I feel so singing and music is me. I just don't, I can't not do it. Um, When I feel inspired, it's like, feels like something that lived within me all the time. And now I just got it in focus more. And now I'm really excited to do it. And I'm inspired to do it. Um, Outside sources of inspiration? Am I getting two in the weeds here? No. Okay. Um, seeing, like, Etta James as an artist has been a huge inspiration since I was young because of how connected I felt 
every time she opened her mouth or every time I watch a video of her singing live. And that inspired me so much because that's what I want to do. I, I suppose I want to spark that kind of connection and and joy and pain and all of that within other people. So I think it's a it's a weird answer, but I've said that a lot. Um, I think there's just something that won't let me stop, and I and then I find things along the way that are like, huh, I need to do that. I that lights something up in me, and yeah, that was a really convoluted, strange answer. Am I ever inspired, Seth? No, I mean, (laughs) I think everyone that I talk to, fear seems to be like one of the, well, not one, the common denominator. And most of the time, I sense or feel at least like there's an apology for it or a guilt attached to being afraid and that being the motivator. (laughs) And I'm just, I guess for myself, exploring the idea of even the people that I perceive um, that are not afraid in the creative process, I think are just living in a healthier understanding of how to capitalize on the moments of non-fear on that sine wave of going fear to non-fear to fear to non-fear. And they're just, they, they know how to go, yep, this is my moment where I'm not afraid. And then this is where my guilt and shame and imposter syndrome shows up. And then I'm back again to kick butt again. And just bring you know, the wave. Yeah, yeah. But but I think everyone that I talk to in reality has some form of fear driving it. And I think that might be a mechanism in that call it minor or severe anxiety or dissatisfaction or a need for discovering something new or winning a new thing. You know, I, that, like I think it might be okay and beautiful and like something we can love instead of feel guilty about yeah i agree i think as long as fear doesn't stop you and doesn't cripple you it's it can be a friend and so recently it's come up more for me i listened to this book it's i think i'm on my fourth time listening to the big leap by gay hendrix and he says that Fear is excitement without the breath. And I love that because it's really like becoming so like, I just, sometimes I feel this intensity and and it's not a good feeling. And I realize it's like really happy gaslighting. Like I'm not just afraid. I'm actually so excited. And the reason that I feel like about things is because it's so important to me and I I am excited and it brings that play back into it where you're like I can do you know I can do this thing I can make a song I can sing this song for other people I get to do this but underneath it was this if you never like if you don't get up and do this right now you're never gonna do any of the stuff you wanted and that that's a driver for sure yeah fear is a shame source for most people, I feel like, yeah. yeah, I'm afraid. People don't like to admit that. I, 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 maybe. That's an interesting thing. I've, I feel like 
my experience has been, yeah, they don't want to, they don't want to come out and say that, but if you ask them about it, they're happy to share. Mm. And I think that that's true for mental health with men, especially that that's a hard one that a lot of people think that men don't want to talk about it. Well, my experience has been that if you open up and just say how you're feeling, other men are rarely, um, at least the people that I hang out with, um, are rarely afraid to go there. Mm. It may not be comfortable because they're not used to that, maybe culturally, and I'm stereotyping from my one limited experience on it, but I think it's interesting. Um, I also, okay, so talking about all of that and definitions and identity and art and fear and success and consistency, and you, you've been great at sticking with it and you have lots of people that you've helped and coached and lots of performances you've done. And I, I'm curious what and where and how do you define success? Oh, these are hard questions. Let me take a sip of Santa real quick. Let me think about it. <laughs> a sip of Santa. I love it. Santa brains taste like coffee. Um, I hope you're only listening to this right now. Yeah. Where you are. <laughs> Drinking out of a Santa-shaped cup. Yes. That's the context. He looks, he looks happy, so that's good. Um, I've been working on this with my therapist lately. Uh, I think that's been hard because the older I get, the more I realize I'll never get there if I don't start defining success a little bit better. Because this is a deep thing. As humans, we always want more of what a good thing is. So we always want a bigger show or more money or more work or more relaxation time. And we always think that success will look like the next thing we're trying to do. I, it, it was recently, it was like probably six months ago, before I realized that I am successful right now and how that's defined for me is every day I get to sing and talk about singing, and I make a living doing that. And that's huge. That's success to me because I'm, even if I became Lady Gaga or I became, you know, which I'm not going to be, um, not everyone would like me and not everyone, you know, would want me to sing for them. I would still be like, okay, well, the next thing will be, I want more people to like my music, so I'm going to do this thing. The definition to me has become what I'm doing right now and pushing to get better at that all the time. I think it's hard to admit that you're successful because for some reason, I part of my identity is wrapped up in misery. <laughs> I think that's so true. Yeah, objectively, I can sit back and go, 
certain aspects of what we've done have been successful or things that I, and I always say we instead of I, it's a way to cover up like my own, um, wins that I have had mm-hmm. saying that I've won all the time by any means, but that's yeah, interesting. I, I think that I'm with you that when I'm able to identify that what I'm getting to do every single day is something that's attaching to an art thing or a quest that I get to go after because I want to, that to me is success. And in that way, I am successful. Is that weird? It is, yeah. It's really awkward to say. But, but, I, but I also have grand goals and intentions that I'm heading towards and want to do and want to win. But I also hold those, right? I've been trying to learn how to hold those a lot more loosely. Because when I was at my perceived, I think from an external perspective, what I looked to be the most successful, I was the, by far the most miserable I've ever been. Mm-hmm. So, and hopefully that's not true on the next cycle of whatever that is, you know? Yeah. Like, but. It is a cycle. I like the way you said that. The next cycle. Um, yeah, I had a thing in my brain and it went away. What would be the last thing you'd want to say to students and people um, on this one? And we'll do more. But. I'd say celebrate your wins, however small, because this is what your life is in music. If you wait to celebrate until you think you've arrived, you'll never celebrate because you'll never arrive. Um, And that ties into the success piece, right? Right. You can be successful and not feel like you've arrived because I think you probably won't ever. Um, So celebrate now and look for that good news and look for the things you do every day because that will bring more motivation, more joy. Turn that fear into excitement and allow you to enjoy the success that you have. I love it. I think my only idea to add on top of that is that once you are doing it every day, you have arrived. Literally, instead of, you know, I got to play in the Super Bowl or, you know, mm-hmm. I got a t- number one hit one time. It's like, that was then, <laughs> that goes away really fast. Totally. But your, being, your ability to show up every day, I don't know. I think that that is the magic, it's just learning to fall in love with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for it's having fun. me. Heck yeah, thanks for this fun. Yeah. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with other people you think might gain value from it. My name is Seth Schaefer. This is Behind the Act.